Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Sherrill Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 44 years of industry experience. With me again in the studio today, our regular guest, Brian Call. He's a 38-year veteran in the automotive industry. Hey, Rob. Great being with you again today. Good to have you back. And then we've got Bill Sherrill. He's a guy that asks a lot of great questions, been driving a long time, and keeps us on track. Happy to be along for the ride. Good to have you back with us again, Bill. Today, we have a new guest along with us on the ride, Jody Bushman. Jody's a team member of our Tire and Service Center in beautiful Marshfield, Wisconsin. Well, good morning, Rob. Thank you for having me. Hey, good to have you alongside. So our listeners can get to know you a little better, Jody. I've got a few questions for you. Jody, share with us a little bit on your background prior to joining our team at Sherrill Tire and Service. Well, prior to Sherrill Tire and Service, almost 11 years ago, which will be in March, I actually was in the retail business for several years. I was in financing for about three years prior to coming over here back to Marshfield to Sherrill Tire. So, Jody, what went through your mind when you discovered the opportunity to enter into the automotive field? To be honest, absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just blank? That's just a blank a look on Jody's feel. face. Uh, yeah, I didn't think much about it. Like I said, I've always been in retail. I knew that's what it was. I knew I had a lot to learn. When I first walked in the door, tires were black, round, and that's all it was to me. I have learned several things over the years, and I think it's great. Of course, you'd always been working on your own cars prior to this job. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I had people to do that. (laughs) That's why I'm here to ask all the questions that for those of us who don't do that work. (laughs) No, that's what the technicians are for. So did you ever give any thought to the fact that you were considering a historically male-dominated industry? Actually, truthfully, Rob, no, I haven't. It never really came to mind, didn't care. I work actually pretty well with guys. I always have all my life, and I just went in and was one of the team. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about your challenges. Did you have any challenges working in a what I would call a previously male-dominated business? The only challenge that comes to my mind is over the years, especially when I first started, not so much now, is because of being a female, when guys came in, they wanted to speak with the male. Right. Now, as I've learned over the years, being the female in the front is kind of funny, where a gentleman who walks in goes to one of the guys at the counter, and they don't know how to answer the question. They turn and ask me, hey, Jody, what about this? So things are changing Now I don't seem to have that issue any more than what I did five, six, seven years ago. So this is a challenge that you've obviously had to overcome at some point. Yeah, yes. I just try to help the guests the best I can. If they want to talk with me, that's great. Otherwise, I try to find the answer if I don't have it. So you're kind of a pioneer in this scenario, in this business. Is that the way you see it? Yeah, you have to change with what's going on with um, everyday life. Things change daily, regardless of what it has to do. An example that actually I just was reading the other day, prime example with this is years ago when they were talking about having to wear your Mm seatbelt. A lot of people did it. They didn't like to. Then it became a law. You didn't have a choice. Now you just adapt to what you have to do. Good explanation. So do you run into that with female guests at times where they're coming in, you're the female at the front counter, but they still may tend to go to the male associate where some may come to you and feel more comfortable, but others still in that concept of the man knows about the vehicle. Actually, I wouldn't say that ever. Okay. Females feel more, I don't want to use the word secure, but feel that they will get a better answer that a woman will not, I guess, BS. Right. Through it, tell That'd them be the Bill Sherrill for those who don't know. 
<laughs> so I think, no, um, I think women like to relate with me, but I've been there for so many years too, that it doesn't really seem to be a problem or an issue anymore. They believe, I just tell them exactly, this is what it is. This is what we can or can't do. This is what we would recommend. This is what can wait or should do. So, and even, even guys these days, they listen to what you have to say and you just tell them, Hey, this is what we can and can't do. Has your family and friends supported you as you advance in your career? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, my dad is a part-time shuttle driver for me at my location. I so just, your dad works for you? He does. Gotta love <laughs> I like that, that. Eh? Yes. <laughs> he does. It's nice seeing him every day. That's the plus to it. Is there any payback for when he disciplined you as a child? Yeah, do you rip him around him and sit him in the corner? <laughs> no, he just looks at me and says, well, you know, I can go home. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, it's a joy seeing him every day. That's a blessing. The other thing is my son, actually both of my children, they think it's great. They love it. They come in. They ask me questions. David, my other half, he, wherever we are, and somebody starts talking about automotive, he always says, this is the woman to talk to constantly. He actually have a family friend who works at another location. And so he always tries to say, hey, what can you do here? What can you do there? It's kind of funny, but he talks about everybody and says, yep, go talk to Jody. She's the one who runs the Marshfield location. So you have become the professional. Yeah, I guess uh, that happens after you grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Finally grew up, eh? Finally grew up. (laughs) Jody, can you give us an example of a situation where you felt that you could say, I provided world-class service? There is one that actually comes to my mind. This happened a few years back. I mean, every day we do. But one that really sticks out is several years ago on a Saturday, our hours are from 8 till noon. I had a guest who came in, was almost in tears. The gentleman didn't know what to do. His brakes were, his back end of this car was smoking. Well, we brought it in and he needed a pretty much a whole complete rear overhaul, new pads, rotors. I believe he needed calipers as well off the top of my head. And he knew we closed at noon. And I think, I want to say it was 1130 that he pulled in and he felt bad. And we said, absolutely not. Let's take a look at it. He was from out of town. We ended up staying, two technicians and myself stayed till I believe it was about 2.30 that afternoon. The guest was so thrilled, so happy, so pleased that he ended up buying us each a couple sodas and lunch. And he just couldn't believe that we stayed and didn't tell him to find a different ride home. And we took care of it. And he said that he would definitely be a guest forever. About two years ago, I believe it was, they moved out of the area. But otherwise, he was coming by us for every little thing that he needed, even though he was out of town. And you remembered that one. I'm sure it gave you a great feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Every time he came in, he couldn't thank us enough. It made you feel good. My hair is standing up when I think about it sometimes. <laughs> You've got a guest for life, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Jody, what advice are you able to give other women that are considering the automotive tire and service industry? Go for it. I think it's a great profession. Ones who don't know about automotive, which I don't work on my own vehicles. I have the technicians to do that. But I have learned an awful lot in the years that I've been there. If I can go on, I had a little story when I years ago when I became the service leader, which is about five years ago, not working with the parts and stuff like that. For a long time, I couldn't get it in my head if you need an alignment with a sway bar link or a tie rod in. So I'd always holler at my technicians, do we need an alignment with this? And they're like, okay, Jody, it's the tie rod. Well, it took me a long time, but now I can laugh about it because I do think it's kind of funny, um, <laughs> especially knowing what the parts do. So yeah, go for it. So what really saved you was knowing your resources, knowing who you can turn to, and that's how you learned and grew in this industry. Absolutely. 
um, if I didn't know it, I make phone calls. Even today, if I don't know the answer, I make a couple phone calls. Say, hey, like, Brian, hey, help me. And he's like, what do you need? And we go through it. And it does a lot. Or if there is Google, I yes. use Google a lot if I don't know what a part does or how it works. So I can explain it to my guest. I will Google it. I print it off. And I will go talk to the guest. Well, back to our panel. Any other questions for Jody? I think, you know, in summary, it sounds so much like that it's just a building of a knowledge base to be knowledgeable of what you're doing in anything. It brings confidence and male, female, or everything in between that, like, just you represent a source of knowledge and you're willing to help and get the person out the door. Absolutely. And it's a good feeling. I mean, you've got some guests that just, they're really upset. You try to do what you can to try to help them. and go on to the next it's just well especially since we're all reliant on our cars <laughs> you know, yeah, nobody wants to spend money right i mean it's the easy place to say we do important work and it is very important to all of us to be able to get on the go and get where we need to be absolutely it's been rewarding watching you go from somebody that doesn't know anything to an expert in the industry hmm. got a lot of learning to go but it's come a long way well, thank Fantastic. you very much, Jody. We appreciate the time you've spent with us, and you're more than welcome to sit alongside Shotgun in our ride today and make some comments. Well, thank you very much for having me, and I appreciate it. And yes, I'd love to sit up. Today we're talking about reading your dashboard. What does it all mean? This question was actually brought up from one of our listeners, and we bring those back in and bring them up for discussion often. So I wanted to touch base on this, and let's see what we can learn today on this. Of course, as you know by now, I've always been intrigued by history, so yes, I'm going to take you back a ways, and I know, I always go back to the horse and buggy days, but in this case, it is pertinent, because we talked about reading your dashboard. Well, think about that word dashboard. Where does that come from? It really goes back to the horse and buggy days, where a horse was considered to be dashing through the snow. You go back to the old Christmas song, history that I dug up, so that's where dash comes from, and the word board literally was a wood board that was placed in front of your feet as you were driving, I guess, a carriage that would keep the mud and muck and, well, you know what else comes out of the back of a horse <laughs> from coming up on you as a driver and your passengers. So that dashboard evolved over the years and eventually came the board or the flat plate that held the gauges where you would watch everything that's going on with your engine and transmission and whatever not. And we can get more into that as we go on with our conversation. Now we see it more as a communication center, but we still, if you Google, as Jody said, uh, they do call it a dashboard yet. Google is a good thing, Rob. Google's mm -hmm. a good thing. If you own or simply drive a car, your most common view is that dashboard. You're looking at that right in front of you, and we should be. We don't want to concentrate fully on it because we want to keep our eyes on the road, like your mother and father and driving instructor teacher always told you. Sometimes we do take this dashboard for granted, though. We don't realize what it is doing for us, and sometimes we don't even know how to read it, and that's why we're talking today. And it's interesting, and now they've taken for safety some of those dashboard up into the windshield that it projects speed and some of those notifications into the windshield. So not soon it'll be the dash window. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they got to dump the word dash eventually yeah. here. But yeah, communication center, dashboard, there's another term as well, and I can't remember that offhand. But 
the dash end uh, is full of information, and we do see some touch screens now on later model vehicles as well. And that's typically off to the side. So again, we've got to be careful not to fully concentrate on that area, but we need to know what's happening there because it does tell us a lot. It's our car's way, our trucks, of communicating with us as a driver and owner of the car. Question for any of you, what all do we find on a dash? What all do we find in front of us as a driver? Mileage, how fast I'm going. Okay, speedometer. Right. And the mileage. Am I going to run out of gas? A fuel gauge for sure. And some of those uh, go a step further by telling you how many miles you have until you run out. Absolutely. Temperature gauge, so if you know if you're running warm. Absolutely, a temperature gauge. In most cases, some cars don't have those anymore, but some do. Absolutely. That whole RPM thing that nobody really understands unless you're in the industry. Okay, so what's that called, Brian? That's a tachometer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So RPM. What's your question, Bill? Revolutions per minute. That's all I know. And how fast the engine is spinning. That's how fast the engine is spinning. Correct. Yeah. We won't go down that any further because I would have all sorts of questions, but but we don't know. That's just a communication. Yeah, we can have lots of fun with that one. So why is that important? Why is the tachometer important? The vehicle I drive is an automatic, so I don't really have any control over what's happening on that tachometer, really. But why is it important that I have it on the dash? That's my question. That's a good question, That's a good question. (laughs) Each engine is designed to operate at a certain RPM to maximize the fuel economy and the efficiency of the engine. That's all built into the automatic transmission with the shift points, with the computer controlling the fuel management. It gets rather technical. As a driver, there's not a whole lot you can do to actually control any of that outside of manually shifting the transmission into a lower gear. That would possibly give you the chance that you could over-rev that engine and it would damage it driving too fast. Sure. Goodness, you'd have to be cruising right along to get too fast for the RPMs of the engine. The size of the engine definitely impacts the RPM. Like your motorcycles, they're designed to operate at a very high RPM. The larger displacements, the V8s and so on, are designed to operate lower RPMs. I think it just really allows you to stay in connection with what's going on with your vehicle. I mean, without really digging into it deep. Some vehicles have a tow mode. So when you're in tow mode, you're going to see a higher RPM. Again, it comes back to understanding what the gauge is doing for you. And like you said, Bill, rotations per minute. So it's not necessarily the speed of your vehicle, but the speed of your engine. Well, like I mentioned before, Google is a really good thing. And you're Googling over there. I am Googling. What controls the RPM in a car? The RPM is a measure of two things. The number of times the engine's crankshaft makes one complete rotation each minute. And simultaneously, the number of times each piston goes up and down in its cylinder. Some people call the RPM engine speed. An engine's RPM is indicated by vehicle's tachometer in the instrument panel. And I wonder why we still have this on the dashboard, but let, since <laughs> nobody can control it and it, nobody even understands it. So let's go on to some of those lights that like actually make a difference in my life. <laughs> the lights are there as well. There's a lot of things still on that dashboard that, I mean, there's a lot more to talk about even, but we got a high beam indicator. We've got turn indicators, mm-hmm. hazards, gear select indicators. There's so much there that's looking at us that we're looking at uh, to stay in contact with. We got our sound controls. We've got our radio, our sound systems, heater and air conditioning controls, very important. And like I mentioned earlier, touchscreens, we do a lot on that. Navigation now? Absolutely. <laughs> GPS. 
and your dash will even tell you where the airbag is. Right. I'm not talking about the passenger. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we might as well be piloting an airplane. There's a lot of information there, and we have a lot of control over what we do with the vehicle on the dash. It's a big responsibility, no doubt. And you mentioned the colored symbols. That's a whole nother level here, for sure. Basically, this is your car's way of communicating with you that, hey, I'm not doing so well right now. Going back a ways, when the check engine light and the colored symbols, the little lights that pop up on your dash in different colors, when that first started to be or came to be, people call those idiot lights. Any ideas as to why they called those idiot lights? I do not have an idea on that one. As a matter of fact, this colored symbols that pop up on the dashes back when this became a new thing for the automotive industry, nobody really liked them because they had no idea what was happening with their engine. They did not know that their car was starting to overheat until it had already overheated when that light came on, got to a certain level. So they called them idiot lights. And it was very difficult for our mechanics to deal with that and the questions that the public or the drivers had. So how many different symbols are there? A lot. Oh, goodness. <laughs> dozens and dozens and dozens. Of, not every car has the same one, but oh, goodness. I'm sure in your research, you found how many there actually. I and, did. And most of them you never want to see. That's my approach most often is I don't want to see these symbols. And then when they come up, I usually don't. I mean, you have the basics like check engine. Right. And that's what we're going to try to clarify a little bit here. You know, when do you panic? When don't you? Well, you should never panic. But you definitely need to come up with a plan when something like this comes on, for sure. But Brian, to your point, in my research, I did come up with 63 different illuminated trouble lights, if you will, that come on your dash, that could come on your dash. And as Brian also stated, it's not one car has all 63, but there's 63 possibilities out there amongst all the year makes and models. So each vehicle will be different. There is some standardization. Wow, I would have never guessed that many. 63, it's crazy. I've actually got a list here, and it's just amazing as to how many different lights could potentially be. 63, absolutely. And that's something that I have found. Like when you switch brands of vehicles, if you get a new vehicle or something like that, the lights, the system, the dashboard, they like have each manufacturer has its own language of communicating and style of communicating where something is, where it's not. I mean, I can only assume that, you know, the, it, I think of it as like the technicians speak several different languages. Ford is different than Chrysler, which is different than Volvo, which is different than BMW, which is different than, you know, like Chevy, that they all are very different in the way they communicate in all these lights and symbols. Absolutely. You make a really good point here too, switching vehicles. You know, how do I get used to what my vehicle does and how it's talking to me. So where would you go? What would be your reference for knowing what type of lights or communication your car requires from you? We've talked about this in the past. (laughs) It's that owner's manual that's in your glove box. We're strong believers in that owner's manual. And I guess a good idea is to go and open your glove box to make sure it's really there. Most likely it is. Most likely it's never been opened. And read it. And read it and actually look at it. It's very user-friendly. They're very thick, but they're easy to find what you're looking for in there for sure. But that'll tell you more specifically as to what type of systems that your vehicle, particular vehicle has. I'm sure it doesn't have 63 different symbols coming up, but it'll tell you what it has. One of the interesting things that people don't know is there's a thing called a bulb check. So when you turn your key on and go to the start position, and before you actually engage the starter, all of the lights on the dashboard come on. 
to indicate that the bulb is actually working. So it's a fail-safe or a check to make sure that if something goes wrong, that the car is able to communicate with you. Did not know that. That is something really good to know. Very helpful. If I don't have a key start, I just push the button in push ever the so button. slightly. Yep. Okay. Something for me to do tonight. You could go home and play with <laughs> yeah. the buttons. Yes. And then we'll quiz you on each light that <laughs> yeah, comes <exactly>. on. <laughs> and did you know that, well, you probably have seen this, that each of these lights are a different color. There's different colors. There's red, green, I think, yellow, yellow orange. or amber, yeah, orange. Maybe. They're categorized by color. We're not going to go too deep into this at this point, but there's different categories. There's warning symbols, safety symbols, what they call the common symbols, and those are all different unique colors between themselves. So there is some rhyme and rhythm to this, what appears to be chaosity when these things start to come on your dash, for sure. So going to some of those common ones, I know that we've talked about TPMS in the past, but if that comes on, is that a warning? Is that an immediate action? Same with like the check engine light. Some of these ones that, I mean, I know if the fuel low light comes on, I need to get fuel. These other ones, I'm not so sure about. Part of that is color-coded by the manufacturer. So a generic way to look at it is if something is red and that light comes on, that's an immediate need. So you need to get pulled over as quickly as possible, as long as you're remaining safety, and take a peek at that and understand what's going on. Another one is the yellow or orange color. If you get a check engine light, which on some cars is yellow, on some cars it's red, but if you see that come on in either color and it's flashing, that indicates that there's definitely a problem going on. If it comes on and it's amber and it's Staying on solid, most likely you can continue driving. Some of those things can be as simple as a loose gas cap, which obviously you can keep driving. But from an emission standpoint, that's something we want to take care of to protect the earth. Makes sense. That's helpful. We always ask a guest if they call and say the check engine light is on, the first questions we usually ask is, is it flashing or is it solid? So what happens when it's flashing? What should we do? It's more important to get that in and take a look at it as soon as you can. Is that a pull over the side of the road type thing? or In some situations, I, codes that we pulled seem, yes, more important that they shouldn't be driving it. So then when you just mentioned codes, can I necessarily have my local neighbor code reader guy or woman now, you know, like down the street, can I go in if I have a check engine light and have them hook up to my vehicle? You can. We have guests that come in and say that they've had a buddy or somebody that pulled the codes. They just give you a generalization of what a code is. They don't diagnostic. They don't know actually what it is. When we actually put the computer on there, we pull the codes. It'll tell us the vehicle actually lets us know what codes are in storage. And then we can diagnose what potentially those codes mean. So we know the direction. It tells us what system is failing. Correct. Within the car which then we go to a trouble chart that actually walks us down through how to diagnose what's going on with the car. So if the code comes up, oxygen sensor, you go to your local parts house, put an oxygen sensor in, it doesn't fix it because it's just telling you it's that system that maybe the oxygen sensor is the problem or there's other things that contribute to that same code. There could be a few other parts in that system is what you're saying. It could be as simple as a vacuum leak in that particular scenario. Well, now that we've got our listeners completely confused, I think it's time to take a left and go on a road trip, Wisconsin yeah. road trip. 
it gives us a break and we can come back and we can dig a little further into this as we go forward after our road trip right. to Standing Rocks Park. In Portage County? In Portage County. Awesome. It's, a, it's a real gem of Portage County. Many outdoor enthusiasts know about this place, but there's a lot of people that don't. It's easy to get to. It's about seven miles east of Stevens Point. It's a 524-acre park, and it's just absolutely beautiful. There's a lot you can do. It's back in the woods, if you will, back in the hills of that area. I spent some time there. I don't live far from there. It's close to Stevens Point. They do have downhill and cross-country skiing. They actually have three lifts. However, this year, they are not opening the downhill skiing part of the park, not due to COVID, but due to high water levels at the lake below on the lower part of the park. For whatever reason, I'm not sure why that is. So they can ski right into the lake? Yeah, they pretty much could at this point, which sounds fun to me because you know it's ice. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up downhill skiing. I learned to downhill ski at Standing Rocks Park when it was the tow rope. And I always say, my, you know, like you ski a lot, but my memory as a kid was how many pairs of gloves would you go through to grab the tow grab rope? That rope? And then you would always get the, you know, dad would come out with a duct tape and mm -hmm. wrap up your gloves. <laughs> and like, then that eventually gets worn off. But I always think we did a lot of skiing because the up and down was very quick. You'd make like 25 runs in a half hour practically. I think it's like a 130 foot drop. So it's yeah. not real no, big, but it's but it's fast. It's yes. good place to learn, like yes, you said. Exactly. Was there just one rope tow back in those days? Just one rope tow. So I've not been back downhill skiing at that facility. Oh, come so on. I, you got to get back there. Yeah, I will have to go back this winter. Can't close this winter. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true. But there's a lot of things you can do yes. still at Standing Rocks Park. So I've not been back since then, but I did recently go out and I walked on the snowshoe trail, which I believe oh, sure. is allowed. You're not supposed to walk on the cross-country skating trail, which was super, I mean, it's lit, which I did not know that that was the case. Lights are new this year, at least the brighter lights, which is great for the snow biking folks. The snow biking trails are now somewhat lit by the ski trails. Isn't that fat bikes? Or that, that would fat? be fat biking, okay. absolutely. They really do a nice job out there. They groom the trails. As you said, Bill, they have specific trails for snowshoers, hikers, mountain biking or fat tire bikes, and cross-country skiing. That's all open and ready to go. And it's been in full force and going well this year. Just this downhill skiing hasn't happened. They also have a disc golf course. I don't think that happens in the winter. I don't know. There... I've never played disc Does golf. Does anybody know? Has anybody played disc golf? No, no, I've never played disc golf. I don't, I don't know, know why you can't. <laughs> right, I, guess, I don't yeah. know why you couldn't either. Right. Just don't have a white Frisbee. Yeah. No, it's a disc. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, different. Frisbee's a, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing I know about the sport is it's different than Frisbee. <laughs> and you talked about the new, I want to call it warming house, but it's really a lodge. And that is their second lodge. So they have two lodges. And I believe both of those can be rented for weddings or family gatherings. Pretty much a do-everything, do-all type of park. And they have a dog park. I was going to say, don't forget the dog. I'm not forgetting the dog park. Dogs. It's actually rated as one of the best dog parks in the area. I can attest to that. You've been there? Take my son's dogs out there, and it's fabulous dog park. Huge. Yeah. The dogs just run and run. Okay, we're just getting back from our road trip to Standing Rocks Park in Portage County. We do have a link out there on our website at All About the Car. So make sure you check that out, and it's definitely worth the destination. So coming back to our previous conversation on our dashboard and what it all means. We had previously talked about the dashboard symbols that come up and what's common. Jody, with your time in our industry at the counter at your store, 
What's the most common concern that people have when they come in with a light that's come up on their dash? Out of all the lights that do come on on the vehicle, the two biggest would be the check engine light and the TPMS tire light symbol. Those would be the two biggest. The check engine light, obviously, we already touched base on. A little bit before the tire light comes on, even if your pressure, in most cases, cars, even if the pressure goes up or down within two pounds of pressure, you should be checking them once a month anyways on a regular basis because you will lose air in your tires. So if it comes on, do I need to come and see you immediately? Or should I pull over? Am I going to have a blowout? In most cases, no, Bill. But Mm -hmm. what I would recommend is to have your tire pressure check, either check yourself or stop at a service station by us or somewhere else just to make sure that your pressure is where it's supposed to be. And where do I even know what the pressure I'm supposed to have in my tire? Where do I find that information? Actually, in some cases, it is in your manual. Otherwise, the easiest is on your door jam. There is Mm -hmm. a sticker on there. It will tell you what the pound of pressure should be. It will say PSI. Perfect. Thanks. So on some of the warning symbols that can come up potentially on your dash, a temperature warning, so engine gets hot, oil pressure low, which is self-explanatory, a battery or charging system warnings. Are those warnings that we should adhere to right away, or what are the thoughts on that? Any of the ones you just listed should be checked out as quickly as possible. Any of those can cause some serious engine damage. That makes sense, and we don't want to damage our engine. We have quite the investment here with our vehicles for sure. The other question that had been brought up to me that I wanted to tackle today is, is there a difference between a system failure light and a maintenance reminder? I know some vehicles will just tell you it's time for an oil change. And in other cases, that light might mean, like I mentioned earlier, low pressure, oil pressure. So is there a difference from the reminder to the warning symbol? Yes, big difference. The maintenance reminder light, uh, that particular light is to remind you that you're due for service. And any of the other warning lights is definitely something that needs to be addressed sooner than later. And that flashing light that Jody referred to earlier, so when the light comes on and is flashing, is that even another level or even another step of severity, if you will? I'd classify that as similar to the oil light coming on, overheating, the battery light coming on. Any one of those is definitely needs to be addressed as soon as possible. So I would definitely consider those warning symbols. Yeah, that's my takeaway, is if it's flashing at me, that's bad news. That is correct. (laughs) Look at me, it's saying. Look at me. (laughs) Along the lines of the gauges that we were talking about, too, the gauges that are slowly starting to disappear from our dash, but they're still out there, a fluctuating gauge. What's I mean, let's just say a temperature gauge, if the vehicle still has one, but it's fluctuating. Something different than it had done in the past. Is this reason for concern? Something you definitely need to keep an eye on. Um, A temperature gauge fluctuating could be as simple as something got up in the radiator, like a newspaper or something that's restricting airflow is definitely fluctuating the temperature of the engine. So definitely warrants uh, getting in at least a visual check if you're able to do that or get into your service professional and have them check it out. It might be the beginning of something bigger. Definitely. Okay. So at what point then do we schedule service with our professional? with these lights? I guess we'd come back to the color of the light. If it's red, pretty much immediately. If it's amber, in the next week or two. If it's the reminder light, at our convenience. 
Well, that makes a lot of sense. Until Jody... that reminder light turns into a blinking, a blinking light <laughs> yeah. or something. So. <laughs> well, I guess really what it comes down to is we really have to be aware of what our dash is telling us. And we have to be educated to the point where we know what it's telling us. And we have to be able to determine whether it's important or not. A lot of people, Jody, I'm sure you would agree with me. A lot of people are just really confused by what's happening on their dash. And that's why they come to see you. Absolutely. They try to look in their manual and it only tells them a little general. And so they should go to a professional and find out exactly what is going on. When in doubt, give Jody a call. There you go. Betcha. Call Marshfield. I'd be happy to help you. <laughs> <laughs> so a big question just to kind of end here. If we have no lights on at all, nothing's flashing, nothing's lighting up like a Christmas tree, as they say, and everything seems fine. Does that mean that the overall health of my car is good? Brian, what's your philosophy on that? That doesn't indicate anything with the health of the car. That's just telling you that those particular systems are operating correctly right now. Could have a catastrophic failure coming if you're not keeping up on your maintenance and having a professional take a look at your car on a regular basis. We covered a lot today in our podcast. Reading your dashboard, what does it all mean? So there's a lot of information in front of us when we drive or own a car. It's important that we know how to determine what it's telling us. So we went through all the different controls and different gauges and lights and things that come up on your dashboard. And we definitely found out that it's a way that your car is communicating with you as the driver. We took a side trip a Wisconsin road trip to Standing Rocks Park in Portage County and realized that winter is not a time to hibernate, but we can do all kinds of things in the wintertime. So back on the road again then, we got into some questions and answers about our dash and about the different things and scenarios that can come up. Our new guest today, Jody, answered some questions that she has at the counter on a regular basis, which really helped us out. So right along with us next time when we talk about how to communicate with your auto service professional or... How to Talk Shop, where it's all about the car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. We'll see you next time.